So thanks for joining us for another episode of Talks with T. Today I have a special guest, uh, Ghazlan Gannaz. All right, cool. Take two, we got it. Um, you know, the reason I had reached out to you is uh, I love the story uh, of, of what you've done. Um, I love kind of how you went, uh, took a leap of faith into entrepreneurship. You went and started The Modest. Um, that didn't work out potentially up to your expectations, but you didn't run away. You kind of have come back for, for another act. And I love I love that story. And that's why I reached out. So thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so we were just talking right before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked you when Erbiti, where did you grow up? And you asked me, how, what does that mean? So yeah. um, I'd love to hear kind of the story of your origins. Yeah. So... Um, Yeah, born and brought up in Algiers to an Algerian father and uh, Algerian-Moroccan mother. Um, Lived in Algiers until the age of 11 and then left to come with uh, my mother and my stepdad, Mm. who was Lebanese, Mm. to the Middle East, uh, to Abu Dhabi specifically. And uh, actually, since the age of 11, I only visited a couple of times Algeria, Mm. so... um, I do have a, a great sense of nostalgia, mm. um, but yeah, at some point probably will visit. Mm. And then uh, spent um, many years in in Abu Dhabi. Uh, then I lived in Lebanon for about seven years, okay. where I finished school. Yeah. And then the family came back to the UAE. Um, and yeah, we've been living here for for over two decades now. Okay, amazing. So that's where you picked up your Lebanese accent from. The Lebanese accent is because the the stepdad yeah. is Lebanese. I have three uh, Lebanese brothers. Okay. I lived in Lebanon, so from a very young age. Okay. Do you identify with with Lebanon at all, or do you? Um, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a good and interesting questions. I um, I feel very Algerian. Okay. I feel that my belonging is Algerian, okay. but I have have grown up in a Lebanese culture, so mm. I also identify with a lot of you know the Lebanese culture. Yeah. Um, but and I also lived most of my life here in Dubai, so I I don't know. I think third culture kid. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, I mean I, I'm orji Palestinian, um, born in the states been here since 92 um so you know i identify very strongly with palestine um even though i've never visited but uh so yeah i get it i can relate uh, yeah um i feel the older we get at least for me yeah. the older i get the more i feel that my belonging is with my country algeria mm. where i am from mm. and almost want to know more and soak up more of the the you know what are the traditions and what's the culture and what's yeah. the food and i don't know what it is but i've been feeling it more and more as i you know get older yeah i think it's um it's a question of like purpose belonging i think all of these things yeah. start to matter a lot more uh, identity contribution like if i want to give back now i think about you know what are the communities i'd like to give back to and so i think that helps identify bring us back to our roots true uh, to a large extent um and so you're basically one of the uae ogs yeah Uh, 
I would I would say that yeah. we first came here in '89. Okay. Yeah, okay. and then and then I've been living in Dubai since '97. The transformation was is amazing. Yeah. I think for those of us who have been here for a while, it must have impacted us somehow. Just seeing a city and a country grow to this extent at such a short period of time. Yeah. It does make you feel like, you know, you can do things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the amazing part of being here from that time is um, it builds this uh, feeling of possibility mm-hmm. that anything is possible. And I think the, the ruling family has done an amazing job of building that culture and the DNA in the country. And that translates to the people who feel like I need a platform to build something. This yeah. is a great platform. I think the other thing that having been here for that long, um, that helps a lot is I think we've seen a lot of haters mm-hmm. in different phases hate on Dubai and the resilience of the city is amazing, right? So whether it's 08 financial crisis, whether it was pre-COVID, everyone's saying, you know, Khalas construction is down, Dubai's mm. done, and I don't know what. And um, But the resilience here, just the ability to reinvent. Yeah, it's entrepreneurship, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And so how did you get into entrepreneurship? Um, not in a very planned, structured, thought-through way. Yeah. Um, I worked in... Um, the finance and investment industry for 15 years. Yeah. Um, enjoyed that journey. Mm. Enjoyed it because of the, the crazy ride mm. and the learning and the growth mm. more than anything. And um, left because I felt that there wasn't much more that I could do there. Mm. Um, I had reached a point where I felt like, okay, it's been 15 years. What do we do next? And there was this nagging idea that I had, Mm, mm. uh, which was the birth of the modest. Uh, And it was a a personal frustration and one that I had seen in, um, you know, women in the family and Mm. women around me. So I really identified with the problem and understood it. And uh, yeah, I left to start the modest. Mm. So it didn't, I mean, if you had asked me maybe um, halfway through those 15 years, if I would be an entrepreneur and at that point an entrepreneur I had worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and to me it was like this these creatures who do things that are so different and mysterious and they have superpowers I would have said I I don't even know where to begin Mm. but yeah that's how it started very Mm. organically yeah yeah you know that I think that perception of entrepreneurs are these creatures that I think some of that still exists today and I think that's a big reason you know we started the podcast um what did you learn during your time in investment banking and finance so when i started i joined um so i was with the same company for 15 years and when i started i joined or when i joined it was about uh there was maybe four of us and when i left it had 10 billion dollars of assets under management 30 offices around the world it it really grew i left Mm. in 2015 and um i just you know it was so fast paced and you had to be a certain type of person to fit in that culture. Mm. You had to be very driven, driven, very focused on on you know building your career, on getting things done. So there was a there were a lot of things that actually fit in the entrepreneurial world that I picked up from there, mm. and that actually helped me mm. in in building my my first business. What what are some of those things that come to mind? Tenacity, um, just 
go, 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 um, being resourceful, figuring things out, um, problem solving. Like there was no no, yeah. right? There was, you had to figure things out. You had mm. to get things done. You had to get them done in short periods of time. Mm. Um, so it was always being pushed and being challenged and totally out of your comfort zone. And the reason I stayed there for 15 years is because um, at no point was I doing the same thing. Mm. I, I grew quite a bit as the company was growing quite a bit. Mm. And so um, it felt like it was different jobs, yeah. you know, over that period of time. And so I think um, the amount of change that I became used to um, was one of the main things that mm. kind of, I think, helped me. Because you're you're in that uncertainty and that movement and momentum and change all the time as an mm. entrepreneur, and so if you if you like comfort or if you like status quo, it's not for you, yeah. right? Yeah, and so you feel like you learned that in your it totally. was a brage, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So you feel like you learned that mm-hmm. a brage, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, when you decided that you're going to go do the modest, what was the light bulb moment? Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a light bulb. It was um, it was building up yeah. until it got to a crescendo where yeah. I felt like this is exactly what I want to do, and also I am done with this, okay. right? Yeah, so yeah. they kind of there was this conversion. It was just like the perfect moment. Exactly, okay. exactly. So I had been thinking about the idea for about a year and a half or so, and just toying with different things. Um, and the more that I researched, the more that I tried to understand it from a, a business, not just a frustration personally, the more I felt like, why isn't anybody doing this? Yeah. Like everybody that I speak to gets a sense. And just to, to clarify, it's basically a market or a platform, a destination, online destination for luxury fashion for modest dressers. Mm. So women who want to dress fashionably, but also cover. So Mm. they don't want to show too much skin. And uh, we did it in a way that was very cool and very fashionable and very agnostic. So Mm. not speaking to a particular religion or culture and region. And we landed up with, you know, communities that or markets that included American women, it was 35% actually US oh, wow. uh, market and, yeah. and the rest was from the region and abroad. So uh, yeah, the more that I delved into it, the more it felt that it was such a viable idea um, and also one that I was very passionate about. So made sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you were in the banking sector pretty early, I would say, in this part of the world. And then you uh, jumped and did your own startup uh, so you come across as a very courageous person. Where, where does that come from? Um, you know, I don't know if it's, yeah, maybe it's courage. I just don't know. I've always found myself at um, points where I just had to do the thing, right? So yeah. I'm not thinking so much that, oh, I'm courageous. I need to do this. Yeah. I've got, you know. It wasn't like that. It was just like, okay, I have this idea. It makes sense. I left. I have to do it. Mm. I have to do it. What are the other options, right? I mean, I I didn't leave to go to another corporate environment. I was happy where I was. Um, So I don't know if it's courage. I don't know if it's just the way I am. Um, I think of something and then I just go and I figure things out as I go. you could call that courage, I suppose. Yeah, I was going to say you're describing courage. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, okay. Maybe I'm not conscious yeah. of it, right? Yeah. I do uh, feel um, 
fear sometimes at the beginning of anything new. I feel it's not it's not a I'm going to say something that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not a scary fear. Okay. You know what I mean? No, tell it's, me more. Um, it's like that feeling. Maybe I have conditioned myself to feel fear um, in a way that is normal mm. when it comes to something that is important to be done. If okay. that makes sense. Okay. So if it's relevant and it's yeah. important, you have to have a little bit of fear and a yeah. little bit of anxiety, yeah. um, you know, before you do it. Yeah. So it's become this sensation of, okay, it's normal to feel this way. Mm. You just do it. Mm. Yeah, I, I say it's kind of like that feeling when when you're a kid and you have that first day of school. There's that feeling in your stomach where mm -hmm. you're excited, but you're also like, Oh, you know, nervous. nervous. Yeah. So I, okay. I kind of get the context now. And yeah, I think also a big part of it is that's really how you know you're growing, right? Mm -hmm. That when you have that, when you're flirting with fear and anxiety, it means you're about to do something that's uncomfortable. And when you do something uncomfortable, that's where growth happens. So um, yeah. I can completely uh, connect to what you're saying. Um, so tell me about building the modest. So yeah, I mean, um, worked on it in terms of concept and uh, ideation and research for about a year. Okay. <clears throat> and then uh, launched it in uh, 2017. Mm. Um, I had, um, you know, a vision to create something that was big and that was also meaningful. There was a lot of purpose mm. um, because I, I understood this woman and I saw how stereotyped she was. Modesty did not exist in the luxury fashion. Mm. No one spoke to it. Mm. And the woman was very stereotyped. So whenever I spoke to designers back in the day about mm. modesty, the first thing they'd say is, oh, it's a abaya, it's yeah, a black it's like abaya, a it's a hijab. Woman, yeah. And that's, that's one part of modesty, yeah. but it's a big, uh, you know, it's a big world and mm. it's very diverse. And so, you know, one of the things was how do we break these stereotypes? Another thing is how do we show actually modesty in a different light? Because at that point, any hijabi woman was so on, in the media was either... Um, part of a, a terrorist yeah. attack or yeah. uh, and so just changing that narrative and changing the way perceived this woman as part of the the bigger <clears throat> the bigger picture uh, and the bigger community of modest dressers um, and uh, yeah that's how we started it the business model was we bought stock mm. and we shipped mm. and we uh, did not expect that the US was going to grow into a very substantial market but it did mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was heavy in terms of uh, of what it required, mm. you know, as a business from mm. a cash perspective and so on. Um, but uh, it was growing, and we saw very clearly the resonance and what was happening. Yeah, I guess how <laughs> <laughs> you have a bottle of water next to you. Thanks. Um, how I guess you know when you start a business, there's this, there's like you were saying this like fear but it's not fear this excitement and um and then there becomes a moment where you're like okay actually this is like this is gonna work like something's happening here mm -hmm. what was that moment f where you're like okay this is actually gonna there's something here beyond just my idea yeah i think it happened very early on yeah okay amazing <coughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, it happened very early on with the, with the modest because I, I believe that there was so much need and mm. so much thirst from this 
woman in this mm. community mm. and we touched on very relevant things to her that it just picked up so quickly mm. and from a media perspective it was very very interesting because no one had done e-commerce in a specialized way in a niche that was quite large mm. very large it's mm. 44 billion dollars globally amazing so um so it was very early when i started seeing comments from community saying I can't believe that finally someone is speaking to us or, you know, finally this is looking cool or, you know, just just yeah. seeing that resonance. And then there was a lot of, um, you know, we got a we got um, or rather uh, Anna Winter's office reached out to us oh, wow. from Vogue wanting That's to write an like article. That was our first big article, yeah, I mean, which was we launched in March. It was in July. Oh, wow. So, so very super quickly. soon. Yeah. So you just kind of got all this traction. Just snowballed fast company. Um, picked us as most innovative companies in the world twice, one of the most innovative yeah. companies. So it, it had a lot of resonance, but the business model was heavy. Yeah. And so you're kind of going from this place where you're in a corporate structure, you have roles, responsibilities, and now you're like the CEO. Hmm. And what is that transition like? Difficult. Yeah. Um, and when you're in a startup, it's so fast paced that sometimes you don't even have a chance to grasp the transformation yeah. and having to move from one role to another. Um, I would say another thing is that not just CEO, but founder is lonely. Mm. Um, no matter how amazing your team is, um, it is a lonely journey if you don't have a co-founder who is entirely vested mm. the way that you are. Mm. so but at the same time exciting yeah. right because you have you have that ability to to express your thoughts and and your ideas and manifest them in a business that you love and inspire and see and build things so there's also that excitement yeah i mean i have two co-founders and i cannot imagine doing this alone because you know there's days where like what the hell am i doing yeah. is this am i am, is this going to survive am i going to survive there's all these mouths i need to feed um and like having an outlet where i can go talk to one of my co-founders it's like a safe space yeah. right um so tell me about like the experience of being a solo founder like yeah. how what were your outlets how did you try to manage some of that because it is lonely at the top for sure yeah um, and it wasn't even the top top. <laughs> so it's lonely, but you're like kind of yeah. the beginning yeah, of it. Exactly. Um, it was yeah, it was it was challenging. You know, when things are going well, it's it's good, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Um, but when things uh, go wrong or when things are hard, it's very very hard. Mm. Um, I had a great support system. I'm mm. very close uh, to my family. Mm. Uh, we're a tight knit family, mm. so that was huge support for me, especially when things became challenging. Mm. Um, I mean, they were challenging throughout, but there's challenge that gives you energy, and then there's challenge that completely drains you, mm. right? And uh, I also have a couple of mentors who are incredible in my life and mm. who are my kind of guides throughout yeah. and. They're, they're removed, so they always give you an unbiased uh, view. Um, but it wasn't, you know, especially when I had to close the modest, mm. it was really, really hard because um, it doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the day, your team is, for the most part, they're team members and employees, and mm. they move. And, you know, 
when you're building, you think that, no, it's not just teams. We're building something. So there's a, there's a I suppose, um, you really overestimate how much people are in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and some people are, and it's normal, right? Mm. Yeah, no 100%. We're like, the founders. As a founder, you're like, this is the best thing ever yeah. of all time of anything <laughs> ever created. And then for some people, it's like, this is a job. Yeah. Right? And so... Yeah. I think kind of what I've learned about that experience is you have some people who are going to look at it like, no, this is the best thing ever. Mm. And one thing I've learned is like, how do I protect those people? How do I keep them here as long as possible? How do I make them feel like this is their baby as well? Um, Because those people are invaluable, Um, especially during the times when things get super tough. Correct. Um, So what's an example of, you know, I say there's sometimes there's the challenges that like for me personally make me curl up into like a ball and want mommy, you know, <laughs> like those types of challenges where like I'm like in the fetal position, I don't want to go to the office. Um, so what, what were some of the challenges you faced that were uh, fetal position type yeah. challenges? So I'll give you the context of closing the modest and you'll Please. get a sense because that fetus position went, <laughs> went on for a good six months. Um, so we were... As I said, we were growing, and on our third year, we're growing quite quite a bit and mm. doing well. We launched our own private label, so the business was doing the right thing, and the third year was a pivot year. Mm. Uh, we were supposed to go to marketplace um, rather than carry stock, and for six months, we were having conversations around, you know, with our shareholders and with our investors uh, around that, and, you know, sometimes negotiations just take too long, mm. and so... They were, you know, our investor was the main investor was supposed to come in and, mm. you know, be part of um, of this new uh, chapter. But the conversations just dragged. And in startup life, yeah, time this is, time is everything. Yeah. And you know, you're running a a business that requires liquidity. So every mm. you know every week yeah. becomes more and more challenging. Mm. And then you know there was an agreement. Everything was great. Now everyone is excited. Uh, We're ready to move to the next chapter. And COVID hits. Mm. And uh, it impacts our investor. Mm. And they decide that they're halting investments across, you know, the board. And this was the 11th hour. So at that point, um, there was no way of finding any kind of uh, solution uh, because uh, because it had been actually a while, mm. so that period to me was probably the hardest period in my life, mm. outside of you know big big events, yeah. you know. Mm. But but career wise, definitely the hardest uh, because you know you're you're you don't know you mm. don't know how to navigate, mm. and uh, it's it's um, emotionally quite quite challenging. But you also want to be upbeat and you know full of energy and positivity Mm. for your team because they need to keep moving Mm. so yeah it's it's a lot of emotions emotions. yeah for sure um i guess a a couple of questions is there anything you'd have done differently if you could go back in time managing that situation what have you learned from it's so hard you know i ask Mm. myself that because we kept we kept running the business Mm. um but at the same time, and, and I think to myself, maybe if I had kind of made a decision to just stop, 
mm. earlier, it mm. would have been easier afterwards. Yeah. But at the same time, how do you stop when you know that there is a light at the yeah. end of the tunnel? There's mm. a potential potential solution. Mm. Um, I would have probably stopped it a little bit earlier. Mm. I would have, yeah. Yeah, I think also, you know, when you're a startup that's growing, that has a customer base, that mm. has a following, you have customers who say, I love you, right? And, um, and you have a business that's functioning, but you're also burning cash. Yeah. I think in those environments, and you're fundraising, I think the challenge is always in fundraising mode, you still need to show growth, traction, and you're balancing that along with fundraising. So yeah. maybe earlier on, there's levers you can pull to become cash flow positive, to run a very different type of business, but then maybe the business isn't growing as much mm-hmm. or it's not, uh, it's a very different type of business because you're cutting a lot of cost. And so that different business doesn't become the business that investors want to invest in. Yeah. But the business they want to invest in, you're kind of burning cash yeah. until there's a decision. So it's a catch 22 and it's a very, I don't know what the answer is because I've been there in kind of our series B round. And so it's a, it's not a nice place to be. No, it's very hard. And I'll, I'll tell you a story yeah. about the, you know, where you find yourself as, as an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, so in, so we closed, we announced the closure of the modest early April and in, I think it was November, I was on the cover of Forbes okay. as one of the, the biggest 20, though the best 20 retailers in, in the region yeah. alongside huge, huge um, businesses. And whilst, yes, the business was actually in terms of what it was doing and how it positioned itself and its growth was, was an amazing business. But in the background, I'm, it's, it's, it's madness, yeah. right? But what do you do? You don't not, you know, yeah. push your business out there to allow for more opportunity, right? Mm. But this is what happens oftentimes with entrepreneurs is that even within one day, you're kind of in the highest of highs yeah. and the lowest of lows. And so one of the things that you have to learn is how do you like manage to stay grounded yeah. with the whole thing? And one of the things that I actually really, um, that hit me and I learned from closing the modest is, which is very hard, but that you don't, your identity is not your business. And I was my business. Mm. For, for three years, I was the modest, the modest was me. And then when we closed, I felt like, gosh, those four years have just been this, nothing else, mm. right? So, so it's about, it's hard for founders to kind of pull themselves and find some balance. There isn't a balance in our lives, let's just call a yeah, spade a spade. Exactly. <laughs> but there is a way for you to have important things in your life outside of just, mm. just what you do. Yeah. You can be extremely passionate about it and entirely in, but there are other things that ground you too. Mm. So, you know, it's funny because I think unless you're an entrepreneur and you've been through it, you don't really understand that what you see on the outside is not always what you see on the inside. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, yeah. if you're trying to grow a business like and you're in the early days, it's supposed to be sloppy, but it's supposed to be organized anarchy, right? Mm -hmm. That it's anarchy, but it's going in some sort of direction that's improvement, growth, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so 
you know, sometimes I'll talk to people who aren't in the space and they'll say things to me like, oh my God, the startup, there is this amount, they're killing it. And like, I kind of, on the outside, I'm looking I'm like, oh man, I feel so sorry for those guys because now with such a big round, mm. the expectations, the things you have to do, I'm, I'm proud of them, I'm excited for them. But I think also as an entrepreneur, you know, on the inside, the mechanics of yeah. keeping this machine going is very, very sloppy. But that's what we thrive on also. Yeah, I think so. I, I, we do have yeah. a little bit of crazy there's in something, us. There's something off for there's sure. Something we totally got dropped off. or something, <laughs> our parents. No, really, really. Us. Like, you know, I mean, I, there's something, there's some, there's something that this madness creates as fuel yeah. when it comes to entrepreneurs. It's the challenge. It's, it's the belief. It's the conviction. It's all of that stuff. Because if you look... I mean, we are rational, logical people, yeah. and that's how we run businesses. Yeah. You don't run it if your head yeah. is up in the sky. Yeah. But at the same time, if you look at the logic and the of statistics like, why would you do it? <laughs> of startups making it yeah. past two years, it's not a you know rosy picture. Yeah. So there is something about what you said before is you know purpose and conviction or whatever that purpose is. Yeah. It's it's broad, right? Mm -hmm. um, that I think entrepreneurs have in them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a perfect case in point is, you know, the way you're going to answer this question, which is if you had to go back and do it all over again, would you? I have. To, I have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so case and, in point. And put a little bit more, <laughs> added more to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to, before we get to that point, I want to delve into a, what you just said a bit more, which is your identity is not your business. And you kind of use that as a way to ground yourself. Can you tell me more? Um, yeah, I mean, just, I suppose, I, I had no separation. Mm. Uh, as I said, you know, when I started the business, it was my first time starting a business and you do treat it like a baby and I don't want to, it's not, you know, the right analogy, but when a mother has a child, mm. you know, sometimes she's just all consumed in forever and then mm. a lot of women at one point kind of say oh the children have grown up and now i feel like i don't have anything yeah i know we're different yeah but it, it did feel like that is mm. that you're all in consumed um everything you do is work your 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 identity the way people perceive you is always just connected to this work because i organically also and not uh not deliberately became the face of the modest mm. so people also identified with that and so when it closed it did feel like okay what am i now mm. I, feel, I feel what am i am i still relevant like is there you know yeah yeah so um and it didn't last for too long um but it is a learning for me it was a learning for mm. me yeah. And tell me about kind of the roller coaster that happens after you close the modus. Like, what do you do next? Yeah. What was going through your head? What was going through your heart? Like, yeah, it was it was really hard uh, because it closed for the wrong reasons. Mm. And when we closed, the community went nuts. Mm. I mean, we still have the post for of the closure on on our Instagram account, and when you see the comments. It's, you know, it was so much support, but also heartbreaking mm. um, because they, they loved it. Mm. Um, and also what people don't tell you is what happens to you as an entrepreneur when you close a business mm. and having to deal with the aftermath. Mm. Because you don't just close the business and go home. Yeah. You deal with 
The cleanup. The cleanup, yeah. exactly, which can take forever. Yeah. And it's the legal stuff. And just like living a nightmare every day. Exactly. Yeah. It's like now you want to mourn or you want to relax yeah. after this crazy battle for however many years, yeah. but you can't do that. You have to do every day, go through it yeah. and go through things that are legal. You know, when you're an entrepreneur yeah. and you start something, you start it because you believe and because of the passion, you don't think of a lot of legal stuff you mm. don't you don't think of a lot of um the challenges potentially or the things that might touch you um, you don't think about the things that go wrong yeah, could go wrong right you you're don't. thinking about all the upside opportunity exactly and you're not privy to it yeah. and you're not uh an expert mm. in these you know mm. what words to use what mm. when when things become challenging yeah. what to write in an email yeah. what not to write in an email yeah. So, so that was also a learning process. But um, what I did actually, which was really helpful, um, but again, it was it was it happened uh, because of the community. Mm. Was that was COVID, and a lot of women who follow me, who are entrepreneurs, um, really were inspired by the modest. And so when it closed, they wrote to me saying, "How are we going to survive this whole COVID thing?" Mm. And so I started connecting with so many of them, and some of them would want to get on Zoom and have a conversation. And I landed up, as I was cleaning up and, mm. and dealing with that part of the business, I landed up just speaking to these women almost on a daily basis. I must have spoken to 60 women, but not just once. Mentoring, Amazing. advice, support. So that gave you the fuel to kind of... That gave on. me a f the fuel. Mm. And that also showed me how much of real entrepreneurship is actually not known amongst mm. entrepreneurs mm. there's textbook and then there's real life mm. and real life is so different so then i uh, that's that's what led me to start a passion um project which is called f force which is an online um educational platform for uh women who want to start businesses so it's Amazing. courses yeah but that was very um very helpful and i feel sometimes actually one of the things that can really help you in difficult times mm. is to use that to support other people or to do something for someone else yeah no that's uh that's amazing and uh, i had no idea um i guess when you uh go through this process you're winding down i think it's beautiful that you found something that gave you purpose um it seems like a lot of things happen in your life kind of organically and mm. kind of one door closed, another door open. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I I have the conviction yeah. that if you do your bit mm. and give something your all, mm. that you're on the right track. And that if a door closes, then and you've done everything to push that door, then it's just not yours and something better you know, will come along. And it's always been the case in my life. Uh, sometimes some things just don't work out and it feels painful. But, you know, in hindsight, it was, it just, it was the right thing. Mm. Or it worked out for a better, a better reason, which is what I'm seeing right now after closing the modest. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, it's my conviction. It's the way I, I live. You do your best and then you, you know, you sleep well at night if you've done everything that you can. Yeah, I think it's a healthy way to live uh, because I think, I mean, you've lived it firsthand. 
so much in life is out of our control. Yeah. Right? Like nobody would have told you, somebody told you there's going to be a pandemic right in the middle of your fundraise. You know, you can't, you can't plan for something like that. No. So then you, you decide that you want to come back and do this crazy thing all over again. Yeah. So six months into it. So I stayed in touch with a number of my, my team members, but especially one who mm. was actually one of the most recent uh, people that joined my team. Mm. She was with me for about, I would say, nine, ten months, Hajar, um, who was um, chief commercial officer. And uh, we worked through the toughest time and her character mm. and how she was through that time being relatively new mm. was just to me incredible. Mm. Right. And um, when all this kind of happened, I we spoke and I was like, look, if if I want to do anything or you want to do anything, let's do it together. Yeah. We're super complimentary from a skills perspective, super aligned in terms of values as as people mm. and uh, very driven. And she was also at a part, I mean, her, her background is super strong. She was one of the early founders of um, or founding team members of Jumia. Okay. And so... Um, so yeah, we started speaking, we had a couple of ideas, and then both of us just felt like this is a market that we know, mm. and this is a woman who we love and understand. And we, we've seen, we've mm. seen, you know, this space, and we have expertise in it, so why don't we go back, but do it the right way. Mm. Do it in a way where, you know, we know what went wrong, we know what didn't work, and we started working on it on that basis. And actually, the name, the Modest, so the Modest is is going to launch in about 10 days. Woo-hoo. The Modest 2.0. Amazing. Um, thank you. And is that out, out there? Uh, is that out there now? Have you guys announced that? Yeah, we've announced. Okay, we've great. announced to the community that we are going back. And uh, we've been working on it for a year now. Um, but uh, launching in a different business model mm. and in a different way. So just taking in all the learnings. Um, with uh, you know a new group of investors and with a uh, you know an element of Web three mm. uh, to it, mm. so yeah. So um, the the name itself actually was not meant to be the Modus until you know more recently in the in the process because we were able to buy the IP and then we decided you know what the community loves the brand so let's do it. And um, kind of going back now for Act two. What are your thoughts on doing Act One as a solo founder versus doing Act Two as a with a co-founder? It's um, one of the things I tell all entrepreneurs: if you find a co-founder who, as I said, complementary, mm. aligned on values and vision, wh- where there is respect, where you can actually build something together, it's a no-brainer. Mm. Don't even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. Huge difference. The In journey is very different. Um, the the loneliness, right? Yeah. The fact that you know you're not on your own in this, and the burden is carried by more than one person. Um, just just that support, support, mm. and and of course there is the fact that you've got you know someone else who is putting all their energy, expertise, skill into building that in an equal way, building the business in an equal measure, um, you know, to you. So, um, so it's, uh, it's been, it's been a great experience and you, we go through crazy lows and we go through crazy highs, but we enjoy the journey. And I think that's so important for entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's some VCs that 
we don't even invest in Correct. solo entrepreneurs Absolutely. Uh, because of what you're what you're saying precisely one thing you've done phenomenally well is um this community idea of building this community global community it's amazing to hear that 35 percent uh, is in the u.s um what can you teach me about <laughs> how to build a community um I don't usually blow my own horn, but I'll tell you something. <laughs> yeah. I'm really good at building communities. Okay, so teach me, please. Um, you know, you know what it is? Authenticity. Okay. I promise you, it's yeah. not. It's not much more. It's not complicated. Mm. When people um, actually identify with you mm. and believe you and trust you, and see that what you're saying, the values that you're talking about, are real. Mm. You know that you're not just marketing there's just no way um no way around not you know connecting with you and being mm. part of 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 that circle um so you have of course you have to communicate you have to be on social media you have to be in events you have to do all of that stuff mm. but the core of it is that you are an authentic person and true to yourself and and that will always give you a space mm. you know to be and you can't be everything for everyone you can't you know um be into x one day and into y another day communities don't get built that way it's about you know looking at what your purpose what your values are and being so true to that that you will only attract people who are like-minded mm. and who are aligned with that vision and those values mm. and for for as long as you're authentic in that space people are going to to come into it and yeah. align with it yeah and what are the mechanics so i like the be authentic but like what are the mechanics of getting your message out there what's worked for you is it just being social media is it being at event like you mentioned a couple of things so the where where you are mm. doesn't matter as much as what you do if you are um truly wanting to build a community you need to give yeah. you need to add value you need to um you know as they say um put it forward is that the statement yeah or pay it forward pay it yeah. forward, yeah. Pay it forward. Yeah. and so for example at the time of um of covid mm. when i started having these conversations with women i started putting um content out there around um growth and personal development and starting a business and just putting it out there and mm. i don't i don't do collaborations mm. on my instagram mm. i don't do mm. anything mm. i don't monetize mm. on it mm. um and i built a community that actually you know loved that and was following me because of that and then when i launched f force naturally they had seen me for many years do this yeah. and they bought into that when it comes to queen mode we've been talking about empowering choice and inclusivity since 2017. Mm. Uh, we built a community on that basis since then. Mm. And so today, when we start Queen Mode and NFT collection, our community knows we're not just trying to sell an NFT for three, four hundred dollars. Yeah. We're trying to actually harness the technology to, you know, get even closer to that community. Mm. So I think that, you know, giving value, giving value all the time without necessarily, you know, trying to market yeah. to that community or try to sell them something mm. you're building it because you truly believe in what you're saying and what you're um what you're living yeah so your community kind of becomes your purpose almost totally yeah totally i mean i uh, just to give you an example i i do three classes 
uh, a week at night this period yeah. with my uh, with my participants or mm. students and uh, the class is meant to be nine min- 90 minutes an hour and a half and oftentimes we stay for two and a half hours or so just just talking mm. and it's late at mm. night mm. Um, so you have to really be passionate about it and then it the giving becomes very um, very organic and and easy and people actually feel that mm. feel the authenticity mm. that's amazing um, so when you kind of go back to do this again um, it's not like you said I'm gonna let's go try to do something different you said actually we had a really good idea it just maybe execution wise we tweak things um, how do you uh, manage a situation like that in the context of going back out to investors again, mm. saying, hey, we're going to do this again. Um, when some investors might say it didn't work the first time, why do you think it's going to work the second time? Yeah, because um, when we went out the second time, we went out with a very different business model altogether. Mm. We're an aggregator. Mm. We're, a, we're a, a marketplace. We don't buy stock. We don't ship. It's, it's a tech business through and through, actually. Okay. Um, and so... A, in terms of just looking at the business and dissecting it and doing it very differently the second time mm. round. We had all our ducks in a row, as they say. Mm. Um, and then, you know, going out there and pitching, I think if um, the investor is sophisticated, they would actually invest in an entrepreneur who had failures yeah. in They're the like, past. They learned on someone else's dime and now they're going to come. And It's a badge of honor yeah, in yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, tell me about an amazing uh, founder or one of those crazy, uh, mm. you know, companies who have not failed prior. Yeah. It yeah. just, you know, it doesn't, it rarely ever happens. Mm. Um, and if it was an investor who was uh, doubtful, uh, then they were not the right investors mm. for us. It wasn't easy. Um, it took us a while. I was I was fundraising with, with Hajar, who was very pregnant at the time, yeah. behind a Zoom screen during COVID. Yeah. But, you know, we landed up with a group of incredible angel investors uh, who are in the right space, who believe in the vision, and um, and who are just you know aligned, aligned yeah. with uh, with us. I learned a lot of things from you today, um, but this is just a quick short list. Um, I think you talked about kind of being a solo founder can be lonely, and it's if you can find a founder who connects with you on your values, complements you, it's a no brainer to take that path. Um, I really liked what you said about your identity uh, doesn't have to be your business um, and everything you learned around that. Um, I'm going to think a lot after today's discussion around this idea of do something for someone else when you're down and you'll f- you'll feel a lot better. Um, and I'm definitely going to annoy you a lot about how to build a community <laughs> because you're, uh, you're a powerhouse at that. And I liked what you said around, you know, being authentic, is the most important characteristic of building a community, but then you need to give back as well. Um, uh, I've had a ton of fun doing this, so I really Likewise. appreciate you taking the time and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks.